0: Hello and welcome to episode 49 of The Future of Work, the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future. As always, I'm with Claire Haydar, the CEO of Wanda. Claire, this is the third part of our chat with Lucy Lewis. What are we talking about today?
1: Doug, we brought Lucy onto the podcast specifically to turn a very sharp focus onto employment law and and the legislation surrounding employment law and how that's evolved and changed over the last two years. And in this third segment of the podcast, we're specifically talking to Lucy about frameworks and decision-making criteria that business leaders can use to navigate this area because we're we're in a period of real evolution that's happening in real time. You know, legislation tends to take longer than what the actual demand and the need on the ground is. And so, okay, you know, Decision legislation is in flux. It's not fully changed yet. It's geographically very diverse in how different countries are approaching this legislation. What can business leaders do today to frame it and actually provide a methodology for their team members, particularly people in their people teams, their shareholders, to actually think about this and, and frame it and make decisions moving forward during this period of flux and change.
0: Let's head on over to chat to Lucy.
1: Lucy where we really want to take the conversation next is is very much about the practical application. So you've shared with us kind of like the guardrails or the frameworks that business leaders can be using to think this through. You've outlined the gray areas in employment law which everybody is navigating right now. If we can turn more to okay so so what now? Let's take these three legal issues that you've just raised and because these things haven't been defined at a legislative level, what is the correct and legal thing to be doing
2: right now? That's a particularly good question, because <laughs> correct and legal might not necessarily <laughs> be the same thing. I mean, the, the exactly. only legal, right legal answer is that you have to take local advice. And it's one of the challenges for us. And one of the challenges for employers, actually, because if you've got 100 employees, but five of them want to go to different countries, you end up significantly incurring costs and often duplicated costs because the position in Germany is likely to be different from the position in France and that would be different from the position in Australia and the US. So the right legal thing is to take advice locally on how you navigate the risks. We are seeing an increase in businesses that offer employer of record type services and by that I mean that they say look We can make all the challenges go away by essentially being your employer and managing the legal risk in all these countries. And those things often sound very attractive, but actually you're still generally as the employer taking on all the liability. And if you don't go into those with your eyes open, it's a little bit of if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Those organizations aren't able to shortcut some of the challenges we're seeing. We are seeing them being used as a solution, you know, because really, as I said, it's about risk management. So looking at those kind of organizations and is that one way to address the risk, looking at just accepting the risk. And as I say, there are businesses definitely taking a view that will allow employees to go for a short period of time subject to the kind of role they're doing. So from a tax perspective, certain roles involve greater risk. So. If you send your manager or allow your managing director to go and work in France, for example, having a very senior managing director uh, employee on the ground, that looks and feels much more like you're essentially setting up a business in France. And that's when you start to be taking a risk in relation to tax. So that's quite a different position than if you've got... I don't know, an HR administrator, for example, that wants to go and work. So you're you're taking a risk judging by the, the type of role and the person and what they're going to be doing there and allowing them to go within certain parameters. And then the other risk mitigation is actually being careful about which of the countries you allow people to go to. So some are much more difficult than others. For example, businesses that are based in continental Europe, traveling within continental Europe is actually pretty easy. So if you're a French employee yeah. wanting to go and work in Spain, some of these challenges are able, not all of them, but some of them, these, these challenges are much easier. We, ha- we haven't talked about data processing and sending data, um, but you know, those yeah. things are much easier. So so looking at where the risks lie in relation to the types of role, the length of time in the countries that people want to go to, but it is about risk mitigation. So businesses wanting to do this have to accept that the starting point is that it's pretty certain to involve a degree of risk and how much risk you're willing to take actually becomes a strategic business question.
0: Lucy, from my side, from my sort of more simplistic view, it seems as if the company is taking a lot more of the risk than, say, the employee or the individual. So how does leadership shift their mindset to, to adapt to this? Because the world is going more and more global. How does that work?
2: you know, it is a good and difficult question. What we've been focused on is where you've got employees in their home jurisdiction that want to travel. But obviously that what, what we haven't talked about is just the globalization of workforces. So, you know, nothing stops any business now looking to recruit for talent outside their local market. And one of the really exciting things, actually, I think to come from the pandemic is the realization that the opportunity we've got to hire people is actually not just the people that can commute to the office that I actually happen to be sitting in, but more broadly talent across the world that we can do much more of this job remotely, possibly not all of it, open debate about how much collaboration and office space we need. That's a topic for a whole lot podcast. But you know, we can do this, a lot of this remotely. So if we leave aside the idea of employee's from your home jurisdiction, want to travel somewhere else, actually recruiting people, just going out and looking for talent on a global basis. That is something that we're seeing more and more. We, we'd seen a bit of it pre-pandemic, but it tended to be very role-based. So, you know, lots of call center roles, lots of finance roles, what we might call back office functions were outsourced to other parts of the world. And we're seeing that the next phase of that evolution is actually our search for talent should be much broader and possibly can be more cost efficient. So we should be looking at those those markets, often what businesses are doing, and looking actually in the markets where they've already got a presence. So we might, for example, have um, outsourced part of our back office functions to Poland, but actually now we've got a presence in that country. We should be more proactively looking for talent in that country because the infrastructure costs are already absorbed. So let's look more broadly in that market for for talent and we're seeing that much more regularly some of the legal challenges are still the same so if you take a totally global approach to talent and you don't already have a presence in germany for example then you know you end up with infrastructure costs in employing somebody in Germany. But we're definitely seeing the idea that our search for talent is a much more global one. We're seeing that get quite a lot of traction. It's not just about outsourcing parts of our business functions to less expensive places. It's about looking for talent on a global basis. And Lucy, to the exact point that you're saying, it's
1: idealistically, it's great when you're talking about it around the boardroom table, the poor HR person who has to go and make that happen. I actually um, overheard our head of people, who's my co-founder, the other day, talking to one of our clients who knows that we've, you know, built this global company from day one. You know, we recruit from all over the world, and th- their HR was actually talking to Tracy, asking her, and she was her response to the client was, "I still feel traumatized after trying to set up business in various countries." You know, that's her totally off the cuff, one HR person to another HR person being very blunt about what it was trying to navigate that. And I saw that playing out in the background because, you know, I saw the threads, I saw the communication happening and it, it was a painful process. I mean, there were some countries that we were trying to set up entities in, in order to be able to employ people. And it took us more than 27 months. That's painful. And those issues haven't gone away. So if we bring everything together in the conversation that you've shared with us, it's idealistically on the surface, it looks very simple. When you actually peel the onion back and look at the complexity of what needs to happen, it's it's not an easy issue. And as you say, hence having to take local advice because there are nuances and they're big.
2: No, I mean that's definitely right. I mean you're you're right. You say they're nuances and they're big. I mean they're often big. They're often big problems. I think the businesses that do this successfully, though, and this is where we're seeing change, are ones that identify you know key markets or key parts of the world they want to be in, and they look at saying I, I, you know I gave the example of somebody that's outsourced their call center to Poland or their finance function to India, where they've already got a they've already got a presence generally that presence has come from offshoring services. And then they think, well, actually, let's focus on the markets where we've already got a presence, where some of those infrastructure issues don't arise. And let's really identify talent in those markets. Let's look beyond whatever the purpose of setting up that, you know, back office function was. And actually, let's look more broadly for, you know, often IT programming talent. That's, you know, those are one of the areas that we see quite a lot. There's a real shortage of skills across, Lots of countries. That's an area of real talent drain. So yeah, I think that the the answer to it is trying to step one, take one step back from the ideological kind of approach and thinking. Well, let's identify the key markets or the, key, the, the the key countries where we know this talent with the kind of skills that we want, and trying to then put down roots in a few places and build on that.
1: Yeah, rather than seeing the whole globe as a potential source yeah. for
0: yeah. Sound advice, yeah. But but don't you think then that maybe I mean India is a very good example. I mean, countries that have taken that step to offer themselves to the world, in essence, it's going to take maybe one or two big players to make it that much easier, and and then other countries will be more willing to to jump on board or to get involved because otherwise they're missing out.
2: Yeah, it's a really insightful observation because for a long time we've sort of thought that will. Happen, Um, And I wonder whether the pandemic and the kind of the digital nomad push might make it happen. It's, you know, we'd expected as we saw that drip, drip, drip of digital nomad countries that we then suddenly see everybody trying to get on the bandwagon. It's been slower than we expected. We've talked about this before, but it is the point that a lot of this stuff, you know, migration, employment, protection is very, very embedded in politics and some of it global, but some of it national. And there is actually still a surprisingly high level of protectionism. You know, we saw that. In the US, particularly under the Trump administration, a high level of US protectionism, you know, we thought for a while we might be entering a global era where we'd see more national protectionism. I think that hasn't necessarily happened. Possibly the pandemic has helped that. So these remain highly, highly, highly political issues. And I think that is the big barrier to, to change. So even one or two big economies getting on the bandwagon, I'm not sure we're going to shift the dial quickly
1: Thank you so much for coming on. It was, it was truly, I learned a lot in this conversation with you and I know that the material is going to be spot on for our
2: audience. So thank you for that. Thank you and thank you for having me.
0: And that is the end of this episode of The Future of Work. Let us know if this shorter split version of our podcast is working for you. You can catch us on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts or on our website. That's WNDYR.com. From Clara myself, we'll see you soon.